0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor down.
1: Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Vanderbilt play-by-play man, Andrew Allegretta. We'll talk about wins. Yeah, that's right, Win. We haven't had a lot of those to talk about on the podcast the last few years. But Vandy got a couple, of course, with the football win at Kentucky, and then the road win in hoops against Temple. Now, we didn't get to talk as much about the latter as I would have liked. Andrew was on a little bit of a time crunch, and we spent a lot of our time on football and in the mailbag. But in any case, we did what we did, and I think there's something there for everybody. Andrew appears on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael's a local carpenter and a lifelong vanity fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615 830 Ninety-four fifty-eight. now on to our interview with andrew allegretta andrew allegretta joins us today today being thursday it's a morning it's a cold morning you have been out on the practice field scouting things out uh, because you're from maine and you can handle that but uh the bigger question is this andrew we got a huge football win to discuss yes we got a a really nice basketball win on the road. I mean, this is uncharted territory for the podcast. All this is happening at once. What do we do with ourselves here?
0: Uh, we just, we take a moment, we reflect, we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, it yes. will come again, but you just you just don't know. Um, if you actually want the real reason I was out of practice, uh, and it was twofold, yes, to to scout and watch the team and so on and so forth, but the other reason is, um, I, I must be the most injury prone broadcaster in America because yesterday I smashed my finger in a car door and I needed verification oh. on whether or not I broke my finger or bruised my finger. And the good news is the training staff says it's broken or excuse me, uh, bruised. <laughs> I was, I was so <laughs> teed up for it to be broken that that's where my brain still is. But, um, um, Bruised finger. So we'll find out how effectively you can call a game with a bruised finger in a couple of days.
1: How does one smash one's finger in a car door or do we want
0: because to I'm an Because I'm an idiot, Chris. What are you talking about? Because, <laughs> because I was putting one thing in with one hand and closing the door with the other and cars, unless like, you know the drill, if you open the car up to a certain point, it holds. But if you don't open it all the way to that point, it will start to close itself. So, yeah. you know, I, I had opened it to a certain point where I thought it would stay. It wouldn't. So as I was letting go of the car door, I was still, you know, with the other hand dropping what was a, a grocery bag in the front seat and so on and so forth. And again, I'm an idiot, Chris. So I smashed my finger in the door.
1: There's just too much multitasking going on
0: this time of year. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not good at multitasking. So No, yeah, I'm not yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. But well, yeah. we, we uh, will we thrill, will attempt thrill? to.
1: Yeah. As I was gonna say, we'll attempt to multitask here today without, uh, <laughs> hopefully, inflicting further injury.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll find out.
1: If you if you can hurt yourself on a podcast, let, let's hope it doesn't happen. But uh, you know, if you do, I'd, I'd I'd like to know how. So.
0: I feel like. Anyway, you might have uh, a sponsor for me.
1: <laughs> we could. We, we do have a personal injury. Lawyer, That's so right. uh, there right. is there That's is right. that. So if you want to if you want to sue the manufacturer, I can tell you a good number That's to call. Right.
0: Uh, All right, right. but
1: fine, um, <laughs> well, hey, let's. Here's here's my here's my flip from that. Vandy put a hurting on Kentucky in Lexington.
0: There you go. There you go. Uh, it was you know um, there was a lot that was wonderful about that game for Vanderbilt's standpoint, and obviously it's hard not to start with. Uh, Look, just being around the guys and the coaching staff enough, you understand the work that they're going through, the care level that they have, the effort that they're putting into this and to see them rewarded was really nice. I think what I said at the end of the broadcast was effectively, you know, we've seen the work, we've seen the progress, but there's a difference between progress and an identifiable result. And they finally got their identifiable results. Uh, And you could see the emotion from head coach Clark Lee there's a lot that's going into this for this team right now. So first and foremost, just the sense of catharsis uh, that that game brought to the players and the coaching staff. That's the best thing about it, just to begin with. They've got to build, they've got to turn the, uh, turn the page, and Clark knows that as well as anybody. Uh, but in that in that moment, in that singular moment, the catharsis was for sure real.
1: Do you ride the the plane with the team on the way
0: up and back? Uh, 90% of the time. Yes. I did not go with the team, uh, to Kentucky for unnecessary reasons to get into. It's just, it was a drivable trip. Uh, and I had some other stuff. Uh, so I did not, I did not on this trip.
1: Well, I'm sure you were around the team and other instances, you know, before, after whatever that looked like. Uh, what what was the, the mood behind the scenes? Like, I mean, I know that. Clark Lee tries to keep an even keel and even said this week that we're going to approach the Florida game as if we lost the Kentucky game. And so I get all those things, but look, these guys aren't aren't dumb. Um, it's been a while since they won a game like this. That had to be just a, a huge release of emotions and all sorts of things. You could see it on Clark Lee's face for sure, in the post-game interview. And I'm sure you saw that elsewhere, too.
0: Well, so I didn't travel with the team, but I did go down to the locker room after the game just to, like, you know, check in and see and say congratulations and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm getting a few hugs from people, which, you know, when the broadcaster starts getting a few hugs from people, you can tell the sense of... Again, it's it's one part jubilation. It's one part relief. I, I You could... Feel the relief inside that locker room, the celebration, the jubilation, the joy, but again, the relief, um, because I think everyone again in that locker room just recognized that the moment would come, you know, who knew if it was going to be in Lexington or, you know, a couple of weeks ago in Columbia, whatever it happened. And, and again, there was, the music was loud the hooping and the hollering was loud. The postgame meal, which was Mexican for what for what it's worth, um, was as good as it's ever tasted all season long. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it it was it was just a happy moment down there in the locker room, heading toward the buses. You could just again feel kind of this uh, joy spread around everywhere, and that was nice. It was shared joy.
1: One of the things I think that deserves highlighting coming out of this game was the job that A.J. Blazek has done. I wrote this morning they were down three starters. They've only got one guy starting in the same spot he started against Hawaii. That's center Julian Hernandez, who's been hurt at times this year. I'm just blown away at the job that A.J. Blazek has done with the line that we didn't think was going to be very good, and that was with everybody healthy. I think he's done – Probably the best job of all the assistants on the staff to this point.
0: Well, I'll let Clark evaluate kind of the pecking order there. Um, But in terms of the job AJ's done, I mean, I think if you're around him a little bit, and I think I've noted to you that he was, uh, I rode the offensive line bus quite a bit in Hawaii. So I was around AJ some, and he and I have been, you know, first off, he's a friendly guy. Um, So he's kind of friends with everyone but he and I have been uh, friendly since he got here and he's just, he's infectious with his personality, his positivity. He seems like a really good fit for here. Right. Um, smart guy, high energy guy, positive guy, not one of these like old crunchy, uh, you know, beat you up sort of offensive line coaches, which probably would not go well at the moment with, with people that need, um, you know, a helping hand to get themselves up and over uh, the, the current mountain that they're climbing. Um, I'm not surprised that he's done a good job. And, and like, to your point, it's just been, it's been a rotation on that line, whether it's, you know, Hernandez going down a little bit, uh, whether it's, you know, Xavier Castillo, who's been out, whether it's been Ben Cox who has been out Pitchford who's been out. Uh, I'm going to leave somebody out. Ashmore's done for the season. Um, you know, the, the, only people that feel like they've kind of been there all season long, is like you said, you know, Hernandez went down. Jacob Brammer for the most part, and you could kind of fill me in on, on perhaps which game he missed or moved or whatever it is. He feels like he's kind of been the right tackle for the better part of the season, but you know, it was was catch it, was playing a lot of right guard, uh, in the Kentucky game.
1: Which is somebody it. that was Yeah. And he <laughs> so, hadn't played a snap <laughs> all year until until Saturday.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, he was like on your radar as somebody that could come in in case somebody got hurt, but that was sort of about it. In the same way that Trent Weaver is on your radar as somebody that could come in, uh, in case somebody gets hurt. But I I do think most offensive line coaches these days do as good of a job as they can sort of like basketball or like Tim Corbin, uh, cross training through multiple positions so that if, if, you know, they're typically the right guard and the left guard, gets hurt they can slide or perhaps you can go from right guard to right tackle or, or whatever your skill sets lend itself to um uh, you know his his coaching knowledge is you know whatever he's an Iowa a football player comes from that tree knows that sort of tough physical mindset but he does it in a way that's very befitting of, of these young men right now
1: well I think the other guys that have done a good job coaching Larry Black and Javon Hay because again the defensive line was not supposed to be A position of strength, and I'm not not saying it is, but you look at what they have done with what they have. Again, expectations were not super high, even with Davion Davis, who has not played a snap this year. Um, the star position—I've—I've gone blank on the kid's name. He's from South Carolina. Miles Capers got hurt before the season, so you're like two starting defensive linemen have not played a snap this year.
0: Which uh, does not include play. Devin Lee, who is out for the better part of the season. Uh, yes. you know I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna blank on a couple of other guys, but that defensive line was a position of erosion early on. Where you got a lot of BJ Diacate. Uh, yeah. You had, you know, um, you know Darren Og, who is very talented, and I think he's earned himself a lot of snaps. But uh, you know, that's still a freshman that was asked to do more than a typical freshman. Um, so I, there's a lot of coaches that I think, and, and again, right. Like you go through the grind of a season and again, to no fault of anybody, right? Like all you get are these hyper tangible black and white things like win or lose or yards or negative yards or whatever. And not to be like the eye test guy, right? Because at a certain point, it's the eye test is the record. Um, but uh, and and I know we've talked about it too, Chris, like identifiably the talent is better right now. There's not enough of it. Nobody's denying it. There's not enough SEC depth of talent on this football roster, but they have done a really good job augmenting the players that they've got and putting themselves in a position to be successful to the best of their ability. Not to say that they've been perfect. I'm sure there's plays and moments that they would like back. I mean, how badly would they like the last sequence of Missouri. Back. Oh man, I don't know yes. If they Yes. Right. Like I don't know if they would call it differently. I'm just I'm just saying. Like, wouldn't we all like a do-over there, or for the better part of the Missouri game, right? <laughs> where it was just it it took a while to get out of some cyclical stuff. But you know, the other thing too is, if if I may revert to cliches, styles make the fights, and um, there's been a lot of stylistical challenges a weakness of this team obviously has been out on the perimeter. And there's plenty of teams in this conference with the speed at receiver to take advantage of it. And Kentucky, we, what was interesting about the Kentucky matchup through and through is like stylistically, that's not their thing. They're not going to run and shoot like Tennessee is going to do or whatever. And they're not going to necessarily, they've got an NFL quarterback, but that's not how they get after you. They've got Brown, the kid from Nashville, They've got a few guys that can absolutely challenge you out on the perimeter, but they don't, they don't start there. They start with, they start with Chris Rodriguez and kind of a more, you know, quote unquote NFL style passing game or whatever. Um, So that allows you to stay in the fight. Like Kentucky didn't challenge Vandy's defense in the same way that others have to expose Vandy's defense. That doesn't mean that, that Vandy didn't play well. They did. Like for the first half, Chris Rodriguez was 2.7 yards per carry, which would have been by far, if it held, his lowest yards per carry average in a game this season. Obviously, he rips off the 72 yarder, and that's sort of what those running backs like Eddie George do. They wear you down and then they pop you for an 80 yarder. Um, but they never, and the other thing about it too is Kentucky's offensive line has not been good this season. Like I, there's really no two ways around it. They're last, they're last in the conference and giving up sacks, and it shows. Um, you know, Christian James gets a sack. Michael Labusu gets a sack. Like, guys that have, you know, uh, have been good for Vanderbilt, but not necessarily pressure makers getting to Will Levis. And Levis goes for 109. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some weaknesses in Kentucky's team, their offensive line, and there's some stylistical differences with the way Kentucky plays And again, just the moment of the season for Kentucky where perhaps they, you know, they, the, the, the balloon deflates against Tennessee. And there was some things set up within this, which when you go back and look at it in hindsight, you go, oh, okay. I can kind of see how this comes together. But they also, I I think to Vandy's credit, found a way to manage an offense with Mike Wright as the quarterback as as well as they've done all season. Right. Um, Yeah. They got Ray Davis going. They were in third down in shorts. They converted their third and shorts. They converted a couple of third and 11s. They did a, you know, Mike did a pretty good job running the football. Um, it felt like the most, um, it it felt like the puzzle came together in terms of how you would want to run the offense with Mike, right at quarterback, because there's such a difference between Mike and AJ and like you're, you're oscillating between the two. And it found like, it felt like they found a sweet spot with Mike. So I, I, that whole answer is to not discredit the way that, that Vanderbilt played, but what it does say is the, the style of the fight provided an open door for Vanderbilt, and they busted right through it.
1: Yeah, before I flip to offense and talk about Mike for just a minute, I think three guys on the defensive line particularly deserve a shout-out. That's Nate Clifton, Christian James, Mike Lusu. Yeah, Clifton blocked a field goal, which may have been kind of the – underrated biggest play of the game because i, that, agree. I mean look yeah that that, that it's made a, a 24 huge to difference.
0: 21 win <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly <It's> a, <laughs> um but yeah. and i get they, they kind of wore out because they don't have depth but the, those guys all i'll just use a cliche here uh, stayed in the fight for lack of a better way to yeah. put it but the guy who's really popping to me is cj taylor like you were at practice with me In August, and he was just making play after play after play. And he looked up and he just said, I don't know exactly what they do with him, where they play him. He's sort of a a guy without a position. Um, You know, too big to – too small to be a linebacker. Um, You know, safety was spoken for at the time. They figured out ways to get him on the field more and more, and, and my goodness, I don't think he's leaving the lineup until he's done at Vandy.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, leads the team in tackles in that game with, with six of them, which is kind of interesting, right? That you lead the team in tackles with six against Kentucky, but that's, you know, I think Kentucky ran 50 something plays uh, to Vanderbilt's like 60 something plays. So that's part of the reason intercepts the uh, final pass from Will Levis. I mean, clearly his athleticism, his speed, his, his intuition, his football feel is really, really high. and, And because he's made some plays throughout the course of the season, um, you know what is it? A couple of interceptions? A couple of uh, is it at least two interceptions? Uh, you, I think it's I think it's one
1: pick and two fumble returns for scores. Okay, all
0: um, right. Um, but regardless, he's made some plays, right? So his confidence his confidence is growing, and he can play with a little bit more authority. Um, you know, he's still he doesn't feel like the world's biggest guy, like you said. Um, but his athleticism and his confidence are are growing, and it's nice to have. Uh, it's nice to have a local kid, relatively speaking, from McMinnville um, you know, performing for Vanderbilt. That's a great thing.
1: I thought Mike Wright played really, really well. Uh, th- there were some mistakes. He got bailed out on one of them, but there were also big plays. The 59-yard touchdown run, the throw to Skinner to set it up, the throw to Shepherd to win it. I'm very curious to see how they handle quarterback against Florida because I think Mike is their best matchup against the defense, it really struggles against the
0: run. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I would say a lot of that has to do with AJ's health going into that game. Um, uh, to, to that point, I don't have, you know, any additional information, uh, not to be dodgy. I just don't, um, nor am I going to go bother (laughs) the training stuff. Hey, how's AJ doing? They'd punch me in the face or they'd slam (laughs) my finger in the car door again. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think, you know, I was watching some of Florida's game against South Carolina yesterday. They worry me from an athleticism standpoint. Uh, they're just fast and they're long. And I think one thing that the, uh, the the coaching staff here internally at, at Fandy notes and to Billy Napier's credit, um, that's a first year coaching staff, right? Uh, and there's been some roster turnover and some guys have been kicked off the team and so on and so forth. And they've lost some games. They've won some games, but statistically they're pretty darn disciplined. They lead the conference in penalties. They lead the conference in turnover margin. Uh, So you've got an athletic team that's long that can make plays. And for the most part has been pretty disciplined and can turn you over. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know who becomes your best fit or whatever. I, I think clearly what is your best model is, is what you just did against Kentucky, which is, yes. you know, I think it was, uh, it was nine drives and I think three of them were three plays or less. So that means six of them were fairly lengthy drives and there was like three or four, 10 play drives, which means a lot of Ray Davis, um all of that sort of stuff but but mike's got to be smart mike can't throw the interception i mean you talked about getting bailed out you know look Vandy earned the win but they also got bailed out on the pick that mike wright threw on fourth down and whatever with the illegal hands to the face right like they got bailed out there so you know and the and the touchdown pass to, to will Shepard was great it was the right read it was quick it was decisive so on and so forth but the way Kentucky set up their safeties, they they slid the safety to the to the three man side of the wide receivers, the three by one, and they left Will one on one. So Will just runs a slant, and Mike just throws it over the middle. Like that was, you know, that's that's some pitch and catch stuff. Um, so, you know, Mike Mike still has to be smart. He's not. The other thing too, Chris, like Vandy lost the turnover margin, and Vandy lost the penalties. Yep like seven penalties, 70 yards. I mean, I've not done the digging. I perhaps should, or you can do it. When's the last time Vandy won an SEC game when they lost the turnover margin and lost the penalty battle? Well, it was at I least mean, three I... years ago. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> yeah. At least. Uh, so you're going up against a team that has been fairly put together and you've been a smidge sloppy with penalties lately. And, you know, Mike is really, really good. And, uh, and he turnovers, too. Reads. Yeah, you've been, a little, you've been a little sloppy in that area. And if you open up the door with those things against this level of athleticism, that's a problem. So, you know, you know you're going to try to grind out three, four, or five yards with Ray Davis and try to be about, you know, six for 10 on third downs again.
1: Yeah, you you just made a lot of the points I've been hammering all week. I also think that Florida is a much better team than people think. Look at the computers uh, where yeah, they rank them. I think they're really. I think they're a top twenty-five team, even though they're not ranked there. Now I think end the season they might be. But um, anyway, yeah, and they he, got like
0: an NFL guard, all that kind of. They got NFL yeah, guard. Yeah, sorry, Anthony Torrance. Richardson is yeah. He, you know Richardson might be an NFL quarterback. He's making his twelfth start ever, right? Like he's in the mix to get drafted wherever the only question is like he hasn't played a ton. So, you know, he was the backup to Emory Jones last year when we went down to Gainesville, and, you know, ETN's a, I mean, ripped off an 85 yard touchdown run against South Carolina in part because the linebackers screwed up for the Gamecocks, but you know, they got, they got pieces on the outside. Like they're really good. I'm not saying Vandy can't win that game. Like they certainly can, you know, you know, uh, Florida's record is what it is, but they also beat Utah to start off the season, and Utah is pretty darn good too. They got they just have athleticism out there, which is no surprise. It's a Florida team, uh, but the thing that they're coupling the athleticism with is, generally speaking, clean, disciplined football.
1: This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Doctor Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast, because without it, this season would not be possible. Yeah, well, your, your thoughts on the win over Temple?
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 All right. A lot of things to like about the win at Temple. I think sort of like the football game. I think the resiliency, the stick-to-itiveness, the stay with it, when Temple was able to force overtime uh, was a really good thing from a team that needed that. Um, The fact that Robbins was as active as he was in multiple ways, right? Not just not stepping out and trying to shoot three balls, but trying to post him up was really good. I continue to like the game as it settles down of Ezra Mignon. Uh, I I think he's going to be a factor. I don't know how it totally comes together. He's been... My most intriguing player to watch so far. Um, you know that's a, that's a good Temple team. I mean, and that was a Temple team without a couple of players. And Dunn was hitting a lot of threes, and like they were challenged, they were pushed to the limit. Like the team needed it. Um, there, I, there's a lot to a lot to build into in a win like that because it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just Jordan Wright having a big game or whatever. It felt it felt like you saw more pieces contributors in that game as I watched it unfold, but they're also going to have to be tough and smart and they probably should have closed that game out better. So it probably shouldn't have gone to overtime, but it did. So that's, um, you know, two sides of the same coin there, I suppose, right? Uh, learning to be a little bit more authoritative and finishing off the game. Um, and, and, but at the same time, a, a team that had its confidence rattled through the first two um, to find ways to, to get the win. is great. And I, I don't know that we talk about this a ton. I, I, I actually enjoyed, I I don't know, basketball, like to the depths, to be able to truly discuss it, but just from like a intermediate knowledge level, watching some of the plays that stack ran down the stretch to either try to get a shot for Jordan, try to get a shot for Liam, um, the game winner from Ezra. Like it was, it was compelling basketball. I don't really have the right um, terminology to put on it, but just watching the players move on the court, I thought was, I thought was creative and unique and it wasn't, it was, it was far more developed. It was far more thought out than like the here, give the ball to this guy and everybody clear out. And it's an ISO play, which if you've got that sort of athleticism, knock yourself out, but it was way more um, in depth and thoughtful basketball than just like, Here's this little two-man game that's going to happen on that side of the floor, you know?
1: Okay, let's get to the mailbag quickly. It is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, you hit most of this earlier, I think, or at least you hit it on some level. Knoxville door ninety four wants to know how was it getting to call your first SEC win?
0: Ah, uh, great. Uh, candidly. Um, I, I mean, honest to goodness, I try to make as much about um, the players and the people that have been around um, longer than I have. and I, I could see kind of the a disbelief, uh, B relief, C joy on Norm's face when they won. So I think, you know, I, I was happy for him. Um, but, you know, I took a moment too. like the, the game was over. I was like, like physically spent in the final, uh, you know, five minutes of that ball game. Like I was, my breath was toast and done. So I had to step out of the boots and I just kind of like decompressed for maybe about three to five minutes while the, post game show started up before I could catch my breath. Like it, it was, it was great. You know, um, I, I'm not, I don't have the legacy built into that uh, program in the same way that Norm does or others do. And I get that, but you know, I wasn't here for all 26, but uh, quick math that was, we're well, one in five, 16. Oh, so I've been here for 14 games in the sec. So I was 0 and 13 in the sec. So that was it was nice. It was candidly nice and um I'm ready to turn the page and try to go get another one.
1: Yeah, I, I know someone who was here for all twenty six. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh it's made podcasting <laughs> difficult. So
0: Yeah. I think, yeah well. In any case, I've been, all I've right, been believe... on all sides of everything, Chris.
1: Yes, yes, you have. Um Alright, Believe22, does Coach Clark Lee's 6-16 six and 16 records surpass your expectations for what he could accomplish in almost two full years? Why or why not?
0: Hmm. Interesting question. Um, so The pause is not because, like, I think the answer is definitively yes or definitively no, and I'm trying to like couch the answer.
1: Well, let let me um, let me help you I, out I, a little bit here. Th- these are complicated. I, I will I will say something, uh, and you can agree or disagree. I don't think he is underachieved at a minimum.
0: Oh, bare minimum. Like, I, I just I don't know what the record should be. I guess that's my point. Like the, yeah. the question is, which is, which is understandably. So like, I get it. It the, the question is based in a number. What's the record? What, what is the expectation of the record for two seasons? And again, like this is not like a, I'm on the inside and you're on the outside or whatever. It's just when you're around the stuff so much, you learn the pressure points and it gives you a different barometer for what expectations are. Um, there's so much that needed to be addressed with the football program, like so much from, you know, it's what's funny to me is, and this is just like a straight comparison point. It's not to, you know, it's not to talk about other things or not Vanderbilt or whatever. It's like, So Justin Fuente, who I worked with for a couple of years at Virginia Tech, was on the Doug Gottlieb podcast. And he was kind of talking about, you know, he's going kind of back through post-mortem of like what his experience was like. And he's talking about we were understaffed in recruiting and we were under, um, you know, we were behind in facilities and so on and so forth. And you could tell that's sort of where his pressure points were as a football program. And like, I'm not saying Virginia Tech should be held up to some sort of like, ridiculous standard or whatever. But I mean, their fan base shows up regardless of if you win or you lose, like they played a bad game against a bad team not too long ago and it was bad weather and there was still 40,000 people in there. So like you can, from afar, my point is this from afar, you could see Virginia tech as being X sting And Fuente thought it was lower than that. Well, whatever people thought externally of Vanderbilt football, like there's so much, even mechanically underneath that. It's just like norms, norms comparison all of the time is they're building a house and they walked into a situation where either, either the house wasn't even built or there was like foundational issues and they had to like gut the place and they had to start the remodel, and all of this sort of stuff. And, it's a long answer to say I appreciate every pressure point that Clark has had to deal with from figuring out the best way to schedule practices here uh, to try to change psychological mindsets of a team that has been doing nothing but losing and actually expecting to win for the first time, perhaps since they played high school football, to elevating the talent level, to trying to get talent to overachieve. I, You know, like we talk about assistant coaches, uh, Look, I I don't know if this is like taboo or not, but getting assistant coaches to come to Vanderbilt strikes me as a challenging thing. You are, you are by definition taking a flyer on, on someone that's an up and comer that you believe is good, but probably isn't going to have the track record because, and I don't mean it disparagingly, but taking a job at Vanderbilt right now with the talent level in this conference is a risk. It's it just like you, your reputation in the coaching community has to supersede the potential results that you might get, right because it's gonna be tricky like you could be the world's best coach and you could still go five hundred because the talent level is not where it needs to be like there's so many pressure points, right that's all I'm saying so no, I, I get I it. think yeah right <laughs> like there's so many pressure points um, i think I think he has done really really well so far it has to continue to grow he knows that more than anything the talent level has to be augmented like you've got to sort of live with recruiting classes kind of where they were last year you're still going to be at the bottom of the sec but at least you're in the top 30 35 top 40 of the country where you can develop it better than other people Uh, and you still you still have facilities issues that have to get taken care of and money that has to be raised to fix the stadium and fix the indoor and fix the basketball and fix so on and so forth down the line. Um, there's just, I think he has done such a wonderful job building the program up. And I, I'll tell you, this will be my last thing. I love when he says that I'm not going to lower the standard of this program or we're going to be the best program in the country, not in like the Alabama sense, but in the sense that we're going to compete every single game We're going to challenge this conference and we're going to do it in a way that is befitting and upholds the reputation of Vanderbilt. We're going to create a complete football program in ways that other places don't necessarily do it. And I know it got banged and it got hit publicly, but if you're here internally, why wouldn't you want that? Why would you not want a coach that says, I'm going to strive for the absolute pinnacle. And I I think, I think if Clark has done anything so incredibly well here, it's, say, this is my standard and I'm not going to budge from it. We've got to get to it in a long winding road and we're going to get to it in a way that is befitting of us, but this is still my standard. So I think that's sort of what I've appreciated and felt like he's hit and exceeded expectations with like, he knows who he is as a football coach and a person, and he is going to slowly and meticulously bring this thing to that level. That makes sense, right? Like, I didn't give you a clean answer. I get it, but there's so much to unwind that you have to start by saying, I'm not going to lower my standard. So, and I'm not going to like berate people to get to my level instantaneously. He's going to massage it in a certain way that gets it there, but he hasn't bent. And I think that is through two years of plenty of losing and tough challenges. I think that's pretty impressive.
1: Well, and to sort of buttress what you said there before I ask you one final question and get you out of here, you've almost always got to know the backstory of what he's walked into. And it, it, look, they are right? not the only program that's like that. But uh, the, the backstory is making my dog's ears hurt. I don't know if you can hear that.
0: Um, I think it's probably met plenty of people's ears Heard over the Oh
1: my goodness, this this dog, I do not understand how he can be as loud as he is at times. That, and that's through a that's through a closed door you're hearing that. That that that's like he does that four or five times a day. Sometimes he does it in the middle of the night and wakes us up. It's crazy. I don't know what oh, that's Oreo. about. But but it's yes. Anyway. I could couldn't get through a podcast without a word from Oreo. Um, yeah, but yeah, and I've I've lost my train. Oh, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. There's and this again. This this probably happened at Tennessee. It probably happened at LSU. But the backstory of what he walked into and things you would never know to look for, things that he probably can't and shouldn't talk about publicly, and how hard it is, and even if he did talk about them, and it would probably. Make people feel like he was giving excuses, but they're just things and situations he walked into that you'd never dream you're dealing with at a Power Five football program that he was. And getting his kids to believe and buy in buy-in week in and week out to me has been the most impressive thing he's done.
0: Uh, yeah, I-, I think so. Uh, and that's not without its hurdles. Uh, and it's not without its. Um, you know, stock market-like movement. It's not <laughs> uh, linear. Linear movement is is not how progress works. So I'm with you on that. I, I just, I keep coming back to the fact that uh, this is what Clark believes his program should be. He's going to maintain that standard. Uh, he's not necessarily going to let people deviate from it. And it's still going to take forever. <laughs> <laughs> like the the way that Vanderbilt is going to do this and the mechanics of the internal stuff demand it, it's just going to take time, which is a cruddy answer. Uh, but, but I, I would, I would much rather Clark build it like this rather than the sugar rush. Um, the sugar rush is fun by the way, but there's also a crash. And I feel like people understand perhaps a decade ago, when the crash hit yes uh, yeah. so uh,
1: i was here for the crash
0: I, yeah yeah i mean the, again the sugar rush is fun but there's also a crash so
1: okay last one quickly i don't know the answer to this maybe you do ann arbor door says i enjoy your podcast mm-hmm. andrew what's the theory about the is wearing number 80 tim corbin said he wanted 84 but it told him to take 80 my theory is tim thinks that giving him the number will motivate the kid in a constructive way
0: uh, I don't have the answer to that. Um, I, I've talked about it a couple of times on the fall ball games and broadcasts. It's it's noticeable that Dukanich wears number 80, right? Like it's, it's not, it does not go unnoticed. Um, I suspect that question will get asked at some point as we get closer to the season. And I don't know, I, I don't, I, uh, you would have better context on this than I would. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like coach Corbin necessarily hands us over a list of numbers and why he gave it to him. Right. <laughs> like that sort of feels like a personal thing sometimes. Uh, but, but it it certainly, I'm, I am, I am right there with the question. It is noticeable that Dukanich wears number 80. Um, uh, exactly why I don't know. Uh, but, and I don't know if he asked for 84 first or whatever. I, I don't, I don't know how or when they arrived to that number. But when he takes the field and he's wearing that number, we all see it. So, um, and, and Tim is just, if nothing hyper calculated. So I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a reason, and uh, I'm sure it did not get lost on Tim that he's wearing the same number as Rocker.
1: Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Have a happy Thanksgiving. If I don't talk to you between now and then, and thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Uh, As always, Chris, it's a pleasure.
1: All right. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast and that's how we make this work, please email me at ChrisLee 70 at gmail.com.